Any and all views expressed on the devil and the details are entirely my own. While I am a member of the Church of Satan, I do not speak for the Church of Satan. The Devil in the Details, the show where we talk about skepticism from a satanic perspective. I'm your host, the Satanic Skeptic, and like many Satanists, I discovered Satanism, and in particular the Church of Satan, through heavy metal. I was a huge Black Sabbath and Ozzy Osbourne nut when I was a teen. I mean, I still love Ozzy today, but I remember I had this Black Sabbath Best Of collection, and in the liner notes it mentioned when Sabbath came to the U.S., they were greeted by the Black Pope of the Church of Satan. And I was like, whoa, the Church of Satan. Later I discovered Marilyn Manson. Actually, that's a funny story. My mom had the book She Said Yes, the fabricated story of Casey Barnell's murder during the Columbine shooting. And part of the book's narrative talked about how she used to be a fan of Marilyn Manson, and then she found Jesus. And, you know, Marilyn Manson was a priest in the Church of Satan. But the relationship between the devil and music is much deeper, and goes back much farther than just heavy metal, or even rock and roll. Several famous virtuosos like Franz Liszt, Paganini, and Giuseppe Tartini were all accused of having sold their souls to the devil, a story which continued all the way to legendary blues guitarist Robert Johnson. Johnson was a decent harmonica player, but a lousy guitarist. Then, one day, he disappeared, only to come back sometime later as one of the greatest guitar players who ever lived. Rumor had it that he had met the devil at the Clarksdale Crossroads and traded his soul for guitar lessons, or so the story goes. Curiously, the man credited with starting the legend of Robert Johnson selling his soul to the devil was fellow blues musician Tommy Johnson, who also was rumored to have sold his soul to the devil. But the blues isn't just diabolical because of urban legends about blues musicians selling their souls. Rock and roll inherited its four-on-the-floor time signature and syncopated rhythm from the blues, and it just so happens that nearly every chord in the blues is a dominant seventh, a chord going from the third to the flat seventh, which is what is known as a tritone. What's so evil about that? Well, the myth is that singers and composers in the medieval ages were forbidden from incorporating tritones into their music, and that the Catholic Church actually banned the tritone for being what it called diabolus in musica, or the devil in music. That's a great story, and works well at establishing devilish respectability in the arms race of evil, wherein each heavy metal band tries to one-up the other. But is there any truth behind the myth? According to Encyclopedia Britannica, the tritone, otherwise referred to as an augmented fourth, for example, moving from F to B or C to F sharp, or as a diminished fifth, moving from uh, B to F or C to G flat, is an interval encompassed by three consecutive whole steps, as for instance the distance from F to B, the whole steps F to G, G to A, and A to B. Just listening to examples of a tritone, whether it's Tartini's Devil Troll Sonata in G minor, to Maria from West Side Story, or Black Sabbath by the band Black Sabbath, provides a clue as to how the tritone earned its evil reputation. 
The tritone is a dissonant interval. It just doesn't sound right to the human ear. As John Slobata, professor of music psychology at London's Guildhall School of Music and Drama, explains, our brains are wired to pick up the music that we expect. So when we're listening to music, our brain is constantly trying to guess what comes next. And generally, music is consonant rather than dissonant. So we expect a nice chord. So when that chord is not quite what we expect, it gives you a little bit of an emotional frisson because it's strange and unexpected. As can be deduced from the previously mentioned examples, the tritone is often employed by composers, usually to evoke a sense of unease and dread. For example, an A.E. flat in Saint Saint's Dance Macabre, or to serve as a musical leitmotif for the villain, another A.E. flat tritone, for example, in Beethoven's Fidelio. In truly satanic fashion, tritones can also be used to represent carnality, as composer and high priest of the Church of Satan, Peter Gilmore, explains. The other aspect of this interval is its sense of longing to resolve its dissonance. Hence, it also symbolizes desire, yet another aspect of carnality that spiritual music would tend to avoid, unless it could be used as a desire to be one with the divine. Composers have long used it to conjure both uncertainty, tension, and desire. In his score for West Side Story, Berenstein used it deftly for both meanings. The opening theme, whistled in the film score, begins with the interval of the tritone, creating a sense of tension, which matches the scenario of the rival gangs that is the basis for the story being told. It is also the interval that is infused in the song Maria, where it represents love, longing, and desire. Besides lending itself well to evoking lascivious feelings and unholy ruminations, there is a more fundamental reason why ecclesiastic authorities shun the usage of the tritone in musical composition. Dissonance inherently contradicted the Christian worldview. According to Maestro Gilmore, European ecclesiastical music was intended to represent an ordered universe, as so brought into being by their deity, and thus the inherent ambiguity of the tritone served as a representation of doubt and uncertainty, clearly concepts that are corrosive to faith. Thus, it was associated with the adversary. One of the earliest explicit disavowals of tritones came from influential Italian composer Guido di Arezzo, who intentionally structured the collection of notes in his then-widely-used hexachordal system to avoid any possibility of a tritone occurring. However, it's important to note that neither Guido nor any other composers of his time, which is roughly 1013 to 1033, referred to tritones as diabolus in musica. As Harvard musicologist and scholar Thomas Forrest Kelly explained in his correspondence with me, I'm not aware of any medieval references to diabolus in musica. The earliest references I know of are from the 18th century, and deal with dissonances in polyphonic music, calling various things, the tritone, and various other kinds of things that might be labeled mi contra fa, is what's called diabolus in musica. Mi contra fa es diabolus in musica, or mi against fa is the devil in music, is a phrase that originated with Johann Josipho Fox's <laughs> 1725 textbook, Gratus ad Parnassum. Adam Neely explains that, employing the hexachord system of Guido de Arezzo, moving from Fa, the fourth degree of the commonly used hexachords, to Mi in another hexachord might result in a tritone, which is hard to sing. Neely keenly points out that, in the context of Gratus ad Parnassum, Fox was not cautioning his reader to avoid the tritone because of any supernatural or religious reasons. Fox's rationale was pragmatic, and was about the technical difficulties of singing to a tritone. It would be later romantic composers who would arrange compositions around a literal interpretation of the phrase. Which brings us to the formal introduction of the tritone into heavy metal. 
The main riff of the song Black Sabbath was inspired by bassist Geezer Butler trying to play part of Gustav Holt's The Planets, specifically Mars the Bringer of War, in which the melodic line is doubled in the recorder part using the tritone interval. Thus, metal was born. Considering the phrase Diabolus and Musica didn't appear until the 18th century, it's simply not possible that the Catholic Church banned the tritone. Like most myths and legends, the story may, however, have its origin in fact. In either 1323 or 1324, Pope John XXII issued the Docta Sanctorum Patrum, a decretal banning the practice of Ars Nova, New Art, a style in Western medieval music which saw composers experimenting with new modes and rhythms. Specifically, the church sought to defend the monophonic Gregorian chant over the new trend of polyphonic liturgical chants of the Ars Nova, lamenting, But certain disciples of a new school, applying themselves to measuring time, invent new notes, preferring them to the old ones. They sing the melodies of the church with semi-brevs and minims, and break these melodies with short notes. They interrupt these melodies with hiccups, soil them with their decant, and even go so far as to add triples and vulgar motets. This is why, having taken the advice of our brothers, we order that no one henceforth dare to perpetrate such or similar things in the said offices, particularly in the canonical hours and the celebration of masses. If anyone acts contrary, he will be punished by the authority of this canon. Now, it's important to note that nowhere in the Docta Sanctorum Patrum is the tritone mentioned by name. However, there is one passage in particular that condemns Ars Nova compositions, saying, Thus they run without resting, they intoxicate the ears instead of soothing them. I would argue this phrase jives with the nature of tritones as creating in the listener a longing to resolve the tension of the dissonance. Additionally, composers associated with the Ars Nova movement employed tritones in their compositions. For example, in his... Uh, I did not take French in college, so forgive me. Amour me fate desirer. Guillaume de Machot starts with a surprise, an upward tritone leap, emphasized by the iambic rhythm. There's simply no truth to the claim that the Catholic Church banned the tritone for being Diabolus and Musica. The tritone was largely, but not entirely, avoided because it was considered aesthetically displeasing. The Catholic Church did attempt to ban music which it considered subversive to church doctrine, but it didn't specifically target the tritone. The phrase Diabolus and Musica wasn't even coined by religious authorities. It appeared in a musical textbook as a means of cautioning students that it was technically challenging and ought to be avoided. When I asked for his thoughts on how exactly the myth of the church banning the tritone may have come to be, Magus Gilmore offered, I think the legends about it arose perhaps from metal musicians who, if they had any training in music theory, remembered the Latin moniker, but then leapt to false conclusions about it, and then employed it to have a sort of instant diabolism in their own music. Thus, the premise you mentioned is a form of urban legend, propagated by folks who really didn't explore music history to any great extent. Ultimately, the devil was only in music in the sense that the tritone is a devil of a thing to sing. And of course, music which does anything but praise God constantly may be considered sinful and wrong. Then again, as Anton LaVey was fond to point out, the devil has always had the best tunes. <laughs> I'd like to offer my special thanks to Mark Devoto, Thomas Forrest Kelly, and Magus Gilmore for their assistance. For a more in-depth and technical exploration of the tritone and its history, I strongly recommend checking out Adam Neely's channel, his YouTube video, The Great Myth of the Medieval Tritone Ban. It served as an inspiration for this episode and the article I wrote for Skeptical Inquirer. The devil of doubt calls forth mankind to challenge all things, question all things, 
May the Luciferian light of reason guide you on your way ever forward. Hail science. Hail reason. Hail Satan.